spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week's show is going to be bloody amazing. It's episode 367 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and I know you're just as excited as I am about the fourth and final season of Castlevania, which is now streaming on Netflix. And boy, do I have you covered this week. I've got executive producer Kevin Coldy joining me this week to talk about it. Also, directors Adam and Sam Dietz. And by the way, even if you haven't had a chance to finish the season yet or even start it, these interviews are going to be spoiler-free. So you don't need to worry about getting it spoiled for you before you've even seen it. And if you have seen it, This is still some really interesting insights into not just this fourth season of Castlevania, but all of the seasons previous as well. Also going to talk about Justice Society World War II, the new DC animated movie that just came out on Blu-ray and DVD. You're going to talk about that Venom trailer, another trailer from Panic from Amazon Prime Video. Got some comics to talk about this week. It is a jam-packed show once again, and you want to talk about Castlevania We got it. How about we start off with executive producer Kevin Coldy up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Addy Shankar, and I'm on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So excited for the final season of Castlevania on Netflix this week, and I was so excited to get a chance to talk to this guy who's been there from the beginning. It's Kevin Coldy, executive producer. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I mean, like I said, you've been a part of this thing from the very beginning. What's it been like watching the show evolve and gain such an amazing fan base? It's been, you know, really, really gratifying. I started this project back in 2005, so it's been... It's been a long time coming. You never know when you're working on a project or a show how people are going to respond to it. But, you know, this one felt special from the beginning. And it's really great to have, you know, the audience respond in a way that that they have. It's really gratifying and inspiring. And it's, you know, it's certainly, you know, inspired us to do more and try and do better throughout the, the four seasons. We've certainly upped the ante with each season as far as I'm concerned. Now, since we saw this in the trailer, it's not really a spoiler that someone is trying to bring Dracula back from the dead. So even though he's been gone, would you kind of agree that even in death, he's kind of been affecting the storyline the entire time? Yes. I mean, whether he's there or he's not there, you know, the shadow of Dracula is is always there, right? We saw his dealing with him directly in season two and season three, you know, sort of dealing with the impact of you know, him not being there and what that power vacuum did and, you know, even with people trying to initially start to bring him back in, in season three. But yeah, hundred percent. He's always he's always hovering over the story in one way or another. So I love the dynamic between Trevor and Sci Fi. I've always have now, but they've been fighting this battle for a long time. That has to kind of take its toll. How close might we see them get to their breaking point this season? They have some interesting conversations. Some tense moments, right? I think, you know, season two, they started out, Sipha felt they were on, you know, sort of an exciting adventure. And by the end of season three, I think that was less the case. And, you know, we sort of continue down the same path and season four, which, you know, puts a lot of stress on, on their relationship. Yeah. Now, there's so many threats that all seem to kind of be converging this season into one, like, huge war. But I feel like Isaac has been very underestimated 
up to this point. Talk about his motives going into the season and how much of an impact do you think he's really going to have? I mean, look, Isaac's been evolving. You know, his character, his motivations have been evolving a lot. You know, he changed in some ways more than any of the other characters. You know, in season three, I think Isaac, you know, his worldview and how he looks at things and how he's looked at things in the past are coming into question. And in some cases, clarity. And he is going to have a big impact, you know, on the final events or on events in in season four. Absolutely. Do you think Hector's really the only one that kind of understands where Isaac's coming from and just how much of a threat he can be? And where is Hector heading into this this season? Because I feel like we still haven't even seen the best of Hector yet. I mean, look, Hector, you know, as a as a character, you know, I think he understands what Isaac is capable of, but I also don't think he understands. He hasn't seen Isaac since season two, so he doesn't know, you know, sort of what he's been up to and what his journey has been. But I do believe that he absolutely thinks that Isaac is coming and Isaac is coming for him. So, I mean, Hector, his story is interesting in season four. He's been you know, sort of a victim and he's been abused and and manipulated, you know, by Carmilla, you know, to the extent by Dracula. But he does have some redemptive stuff that happens for him in season four. So I think his journey is, is satisfying. It's funny that you bring up redemption because I feel like having a happy ending seems to be a really tough task to ask for this show. But I think that everyone is hoping that Alucard actually finds some shred of happiness before it's all said and done. So after all he's been through, do you feel like that's even something he might even be open to at this point, especially based on what happened last season? Alucard is in an interesting place at the end of season season three, right? He's been sort of betrayed. He's in a dark spot. He's had to do some things that I don't think, you know, he wanted to do. He's had a rough go of it, starting with the death of his mother and what happened with his father and having to kill his father and, you know, Trevor and Saifa leaving. I think in season four, there are forces that work to try and bring Alucard back to humanity or back to his human side. That's a lot of his journey in the fourth season. Talking to Kevin Cole, the executive producer of Castlevania, which of course premieres this Thursday, May the 13th on Netflix. Kevin, one of the first things that drew me to the series was the incredible animation from places like Powerhouse Animation Studios and so many of the wonderful people that you've got working on this show. What's it been working with that, like with them and the Dietz brothers to assure that this season has the huge impact that you know fans are going to expect from a final season? The whole team that works on Castlevania has been fantastic. It's a, been a labor of love for a lot of people. Frederator Studios, you know, putting the whole thing together from the beginning. Powerhouse, Sam and Adam, and, and their amazingly talented team. The funny thing is they always want to top themselves. Right? It's not like you have to ask them to do it. They want to do it, and they're going to do it. And it it would be more <laughs> along the lines of, okay, guys, you have to stop now. Right? <laughs> like it's, it's a, put your pencils down. We have to deliver the show. You have to you have to stop. There's some really, really, really spectacular work in season four. Clearly, some of the best artistry and animation that we've seen throughout the series. And you know, I think the bar is for them has gotten consistent, consistently higher. But yeah, when you see some of the animation in the penultimate episode and episode six, you're just 
it's 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 pretty mind blowing. I can't wait for people to see it. You brought up my two favorite episodes, so I love that. I love that you did that. Now, now even though the show is in its final season, we're still meeting some new faces this season. So, which one of these new characters were you guys really excited to bring into this story? Because Greta was my favorite. Yeah, Greta was great, right? I mean, Greta was a great character to you know sort of bring in uh, to sort of be the lure to bring Alucard sort of back from the brink of, of where he was. And, you know, she's a strong character. She's not overly impressed by Alucard. You know, I think she is a character that that's good for him. It's always hard to pick a character. Like, I love Malcolm McDowell, so I love Barney as a character. Radko, they're all sort of interesting in their own right. Barney is, you know, sort of a different version of a vampire than we've seen in the series before you know he seems mm-hmm. like he's not as dangerous as as he really is so there's a lot of fun there so now kevin on the surface you brought up carmilla earlier and it feels like carmilla and her army are almost unstoppable as we head into the season but would you say that she's kind of holding the most cards right now or could she actually be her own worst enemy carmilla is a tough one i mean carmilla is a tragic story in that you know she has suffered abuse throughout her life but she also has she has an ambition and not that ambition is a bad thing but she's she's a bit power hungry i think to potentially her her detriment right into the detriment of her relationship with with the vampire council the vampire sisters that you know she has a relationship with so you just don't know what you're going to get you expect certain things from her and she doesn't always you know she doesn't always deliver what you expect yeah there's no doubt about that kevin before i let you go there's been a lot of chatter about possible spinoffs set in the same universe as this castlevania series i'm sure you can't comment on that directly but i'll ask you this have you thought about potential spinoffs or ways to continue the story beyond this season yeah, I, I wouldn't call it a spin-off, but, you know, the plan from the beginning in terms of dealing with animation and dealing with the Castlevania series was to always look at the multitude of characters and storylines within the Castlevania game universe. So, you know, it's always been the intention to be able to look beyond just the story of Trevor and Sci-Fi and Alucard and Castlevania 3. So it's it's something that we look forward to uh, to continuing, and we look forward to bringing more Castlevania to the fans that have supported it and enjoyed it so far. Well, you guys are going to immensely enjoy Season 4 of Castlevania when it hits Netflix on Thursday, May the 13th. Make sure you, make sure you set aside some time. You're going to want to binge the whole thing. Executive producer... Kevin Coldy, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Important note there at the end, right? Not a spinoff, but some sort of a continuation of Castlevania. Hopefully nothing confirmed by Netflix or anything like that. Nothing officially planned yet, but fingers crossed for more Castlevania. But you've got to get through season four first, and trust me, this is one hell of a ride that you are going to be glad you are a part of if you're a Castlevania fan. Make sure you're streaming it right now on Netflix. Thanks to Kevin Coldy for joining me. Going to talk more Castlevania with directors Adam and Sam Dietz next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Joe Henderson, showrunner for Lucifer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Adam, Sam, how you doing, guys? Doing well, how are you? Doing good, man, doing good. So, I mean, you guys have been the directors of Castlevania almost since the very beginning. I was actually talking to Kevin Coldy the other day about working with you guys and the animators to make this season as epic as it should be. 
And what he said was that you guys are always trying to top yourself. So how much fun was it to work on this season knowing it would be your last, last kind of your last hurrah? Well, I w- you know, f- fun is, is a difficult word. It was really hard. <laughs> it's mostly, it's mostly like you feel that the story needs it. Right. And so we thought about like how we can make the set pieces bigger and better and crazier, but it, it, that just adds complications. And there were a lot of things that we had to manage and deal with in order to make that stuff work. And it was hard. And, and we even tripped over ourselves a little bit in some places, but kind of managed to pull it together in the end. Yeah. Yeah. It really took a tremendous effort from a whole lot of people, you know, this season, a big focus of mine was kind of micromanaging the animation on a bigger level. So bringing in a lot more handpicked animators, choosing, you know, specific shots that they're uh, going on to. And all the wonderful staff that we've got here at Powerhouse were uh, really, really just went above and beyond to cover everything that they could to make it the most epic season that they could anytime i see the powerhouse name on anything at this point i'm in just basically because of what i saw in (laughs) season one of castlevania so you guys have done a great job on that score now we've actually seen some incredible character designs and creatures on the series just i mean from the very beginning when it comes to the night creatures though what was your thinking going into this season to kind of bring something new and exciting to those beasts god i feel like we're just always like looking for opportunities to get to draw monsters from the actual games in and (laughs) We just usually try to find a way to where they fit the set piece of the battle in some capacity. I mean, Sam, maybe that's that's wrong from your perspective, but that always just seems like with the, the night creatures that we pick, the monsters that we pick, just happen to have a means of making the battle interesting in most cases. Yeah, I think that um, coming up with a, an interesting action sequence, the first thing that come, comes to mind is like, okay, what are the abilities of this set of characters that are in this fight? And then what are the abilities or skills, what's the skill set of what they're they're dealing with and how can we make this interesting? And sometimes it's about finding the right creatures or uh, giving them the right set of abilities that challenges what their opponent has and, and can do. No doubt about that. Now, the, I don't think I'm alone in saying the dynamic between Trevor and Saifa has always been one of my favorite parts of this show. Now, given and the all-out war that's going on around them all the time, basically. How do you balance that with the lighthearted and humorous moments that you guys also mix in at times? I, I guess that just sort of happens naturally, is finding those moments of brevity uh, when it's appropriate. So much, so much of it just seems like it's in the writing, you know? Yeah, and that's a, that's a big part of it. Is, yeah, you have those moments in the writing, and then you're also kind of working in uh, uh, things, especially during big epic fights and stuff that have just, like, a, a moment to breathe or it's a, a little chuckle to yourself or uh, et cetera when it feels right. There's almost a musicality to it. These things tend to work with beats, you know, and then you don't want the, the humor to lighten a really big down moment too much. And at the same time, you don't want the opposite to happen as well. And so you kind of like give things a, a moment to breathe and you kind of carry the tone around and then you kind of fade it out in a sort of musical beat sense. There's some great ones in this season, too. I can't wait for you guys to, to hear them. Now, one character that we met last season, and I wanted to ask Kevin about this and didn't get a chance, so I'm going to ask you guys, was St. Germain. And from the start, I was just completely suspicious of this dude knew that there was something <laughs> up with him. So give us a little bit of a tease. How much more are we going to learn about his true motives this season? Everything. Yeah. All of it. You get, you get, <laughs> you get the full deets. <laughs> 
yeah this season so i think he has a, like a, i think one of the uh, most fascinating arcs that you get to uh, uh watch play out this season most definitely. Now, we all, we know that Hector and Isaac were like brothers from the very beginning, but that relationship really seems to have taken a turn, obviously. So how would you guys say they both feel about one another heading into this season? Uh, they're like the competing brothers. <laughs> you guys wouldn't know anything about uh, that, would you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they kind of go, they've gone obviously drastically different directions and i don't want to i don't know if i necessarily want to elaborate on that too much because i don't want to spoil anything yeah i i think that really that relationship and how it wasn't affected directly by their interactions but but by their new world views they've experienced things away from each other and how those affects when they inevitably meet again is a big culmination of past couple seasons. We're talking to Sam and Adam Dietz, who are the directors of Castlevania, which of course premieres on Thursday on Netflix. Now guys, Carmilla and her sisters are definitely a formidable force. Kind of felt like coming into the season, they had most of the cards in their favor. They had the most power. So would you say they're a united front, or is it kind of possible maybe not everybody agrees with Carmilla's plan coming up? Well, you're just going to have to find out, aren't you? <laughs> you're you're going to have to watch. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's the best way that we can put it, and I'm sorry. <laughs> well, which one of the sisters outside of Carmela do you feel like has the most interesting story in this season, then? I feel like they're all interesting in their own different ways. I would say Lenore has a lot of influence on certain plot lines, but, you know, Striga and Morana are doing their, only th- their own thing as well. Obviously, Carmela's the centerpiece. I'm really invested in Striga and Morana's, you know, relationship and their their characters. And I think, like, watching as they see how things are play- playing out is, you know, a really important element of the season. It speaks to the themes of the season, I suppose. Absolutely. You guys have been touching on the action a lot, and I don't know how you guys pulled it off. But the action in this season, probably the best yet, in my opinion. And I can't <laughs> stop thinking about, by the way, as we're going to tease ahead a little bit, I can't stop thinking about episode six and episode nine in particular. <laughs> uh, you guys laugh because you know, because you were there. Now, we don't want to spoil anything, of course. But what was it like putting those episodes together in particular? And would you say those Chaos. are your favorite episodes? Are those your favorite episodes this season, though? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I go back and forth on uh, trying to choose between six and, and nine because they, they both have great moments and important things happening. I, I you know, as, as a self-contained episode, six covers a lot, whereas nine is a part of, you know, everything that also happens within the surrounding episodes, especially in 10. It's hard to pick between your, your babies, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, and I, in, in terms of like execution, they were obviously incredibly difficult episodes. The shot count was very high because action in general has a high shot count, which means just every there's a new shot. There's a lot more new shots, and we animated a lot of those episodes, a lot of those episodes in house. And so, you know, we put our best team members on them to make sure they they're turned out as crazy as possible and as interesting as possible visually. And you know, I've said it before, but the animators this season, we I didn't really say no to if they had a crazy idea to use a crazy 3D camera move or something, I, you know, I kind of just let them do it. And we just tried to figure out how to make that work in post-production on the back end as best as possible. And that was very difficult. It's extremely time-consuming, but it did allow us to do some really spectacular things in places. Well worth it as far as I'm concerned, too. I, and I think that the audience will agree when they get a chance to see it as well. 
Gentlemen, before I let you go, I actually put this on a poll on social media. I want to get your thoughts on it since, again, you've been with the show from the beginning. Who do you feel is most deserving of a happy ending at the end of this whole thing? Is it Trevor and Saifa? Is it Alucard? Or do you feel like it's somebody else? Oh, God. Man, that is, that is, that's a question that I feel like if I even go near it, people are going to be mad at me. It's just not fair. And I'm not going to, you know what? I'm not going to answer it. They oh, all deserve happy endings. I can't really blame you. I, I always wish that uh, everyone gets a happy ending. It's tragic if they don't. <laughs> for, for what it's worth, Alucard was leading in my poll that well, I had. So yeah, just for what it's worth, you know. He's had, if we're just, yeah, if we're talking about just the trio, he's obviously had the, the, the harder time. So that makes total sense to me from their perspective. I mean, just look at who his dad was, right? I mean, that alone. His dad was, what happened to him in season three. He's just had a rough go of it. So he, he could use a, a better a better time. Let, let's be fair. I mean, you know, Tr- Trevor's dealt with some, with some shit himself. True. A lot of shit. And he uh, has had a rough time with how, you know, he, he ended up uh, losing his family as well. And kind of had to pull himself up out of that with the help of you know, Saifa and Although he probably wouldn't admit it, Alucard. And that guy's had a, a rough go, and I, you know, I hope for the best for him. Well, we'll all have to find out together on Thursday, May the 13th, because that's when you could see season four of Castlevania. Wait to see what these guys put together. It's Sam and Adam Dietz. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you for having us. I'm just going to tell you guys right now, you are not ready for what's coming on this final season of Castlevania. And that's just a little bit of a tease from Adam and Sam Dietz, who, I mean, just the amazing visuals that are brought to this and every season of Castlevania, almost unbeatable, quite frankly. I'm just going to put it out there right now. In this season, especially episode six and episode nine, I mean, you want to talk about topping yourselves, This might be the those might be the two best episodes in the series ever. And don't at me. I mean, that's just my opinion right there. There have been some good ones, and I love what they did with episode 10 as well so bottom line is make sure you're streaming castlevania this weekend on netflix there's definitely a plenty that you don't want to miss and you're not going to want spoiled for you on social media because there's some big moments that you are not going to want to have spoiled for you i can tell you that right now again thanks to adam and sam Dietz for joining me this week to talk about the final season of castlevania up next how about a spoiler ish review of the justice society world war ii animated movie from warner brothers in dc that's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Julie Nathanson from Far Cry 5, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Warner Brothers Animation throwing it back to World War II. It's my spoiler-ish review of Just Just a Society World War II from DC and Warner Brothers Animation. And I say spoiler-ish because, I mean, I'll I'll get into a little bit, but since the movie just came out on Blu-ray and DVD, and it's been on on digital for a couple weeks, but I don't want to spoil a ton in this review. First of all, I want to talk about what I liked about what I saw in this movie because the throwback aesthetics that they had, I really, really loved. And the character designs were absolutely incredible. I mean, the Black Canary looked absolutely amazing. I loved the classic look for Hawkman that they had as well. Steve Trevor, the Wonder Woman look with the big hair. I loved that so, so much. Also, I mean, speaking of Wonder Woman... Stan Akatic did a fantastic job as Diana and Wonder Woman. Loved the, di- loved the dynamic, too, between her and Steve Trevor, who was played by Chris Diamantopoulos. I mean, they did such a great job 
And actually selling the whole JSA and their camaraderie, especially since you see at the beginning of the movie they're kind of thrown together to help fight the Nazis in World War II, and I'll get to that in a second. So it's not like they've been together a ton, although we see that they've been together for two years at one point in the movie, right? So they've had time to build chemistry. We don't really get to see them build that chemistry. We're just kind of thrown into it. But the dynamic between the whole, the whole team... I thought was really, really good. And they and it helped them make their big moments in this movie matter. Like what like when there was a death of a certain character, which I won't spoil. They made it matter because they sold that chemistry really, really well. And then when they had a big turn from a notable hero, I say turn, it wasn't really that simple. But when they had that quote unquote turn, they made that matter as well because you cared about the JSA, which was really, really good. First of all, one of the biggest things I liked about this movie is sign me up as Matt, with Matt Bomer as The Flash. I mean, I, I, it's one of those things where I see him, right? And I kind of, no disrespect to Ezra Miller, look at him and go, how's he not The Flash in the DC Extended Universe movies? I mean, he is, just based on the voice alone, he gets this character and the mannerisms and everything like that. Again, I know it's animated, but you could just tell Matt Bomer gets this character. And, and yeah, he'd be a cool Superman too. I get that. But just imagine him as the Flash. I never really thought of him as the Flash until I watched this movie and thought, huh, this could really work. So yeah, sign me up in any way, shape, or form with Matt Bomer as the Flash. I mean, I'd take him as Superman too, but the Flash, he definitely does a very good job with. The action sequences were also very, very good in this movie too. Gotta give a shout out to the amazing job that the writers did to Jeremy Adams and Megan Fitzsimmons, I thought actually wrote a pretty darn good movie. Now, they also, you had to wonder, right, going into this, you're like, okay, you've got a team of metas, basically, heroes. Not all of them are metas, but anyway, you've got them against the Nazis, and you're thinking, okay, well, how does this make sense? You know, shouldn't they be able to squash this pretty quickly? How is it taking them two years to get this done? Well, the team ends up getting together, and this is one of the biggest spoilers I'll give you from the movie, and it's not even that big of one, really. They're getting this team together because the Nazis are hunting magical artifacts, and they're they're hunting things that actually enhance their ability to win the war. And they're also throwing the team into the war when the Nazis have already conquered most of Europe and have, and have gotten well into Russia, too. So it's not like they're jumping in there really quickly and trying to squash things in the beginning. No, no, no. So you've got that going on. And and the Nazis already have a a lot of interesting things and they have a lot of plans to already combat this justice society anyway. So you wonder how they're so formidable in this and how they're doing it. You get to see that. And sometimes it's just a sheer numbers game too. It doesn't matter if you have powers or not. Sometimes overwhelming numbers And, you know, big guns can really help in certain situations if you're trying to fight a team of of superheroes. And you get to see that in full display here. So it wasn't as, you know, I expected it to be a kind of a little eye rolly, to be honest. I'm like, really? How? how? I I just don't get this. I don't get how this is going to be formidable at all. And and it really, really was. I, I thought that they did a great job with that. Now, as far as the story goes, I, you know, there was a couple big beats in this that I really enjoyed, but I do think that it dragged on a little bit. But I don't really think that had anything to do with the writing, though. I actually thought it was written 
pretty well and pretty clever for the most part. But it did seem to drag on a little bit in the middle. I thought the beginning was it was a solid beginning, and I think the ending was pretty solid as well. But the but but the beats in the middle, I I just kept waiting for that big moment to happen. I guess is and maybe that's on me. Maybe maybe just you enjoy the I I enjoy the camaraderie camaraderie throughout. Sure, and I enjoyed how they introduced, you know. Future Barry, Future Boy, is actually what they call them. I, I actually enjoyed how they introduced him into the mix and how he almost had to kind of earn his spot because, of course, Diane is not going to trust him, right? So I, I really enjoyed how they did that. But at the same time, I find myself kind of drifting in the middle, which was not good. I mean, I was still enjoying the, you know, the, the, the character designs and all the stuff I mentioned before. But at the same time, I've kind of built up a level of expectation with these DC animated movies and, it's, and even recently, and I, and I get they're kind of dark, starting over with the new universe sort of thing. I understand that. But I did find it that it kind of dragged in the middle. I also thought they used this a little bit too much of a vessel as a vessel for, hey, the Justice League is something important and we need to have that in the future. And you, you kind of see that, again, spoiler alert, you see that at the end of the movie where you've got Flash and Superman, who kind of teamed up against Brainiac in the beginning of the movie and before Barry actually ended up time traveling, you you see that they they kind of come together at the end like, hey, you know, the, we should team up more often and maybe we should have heroes come together a little bit more. And the, you see that, you know, glint in Superman's eye like, hey, that's a good idea. So you, obviously this is setting up, you know, the formation of the Justice League in the future. But I don't feel like you needed to do that, first of all. Second of all, did you need to do that in this particular movie? I don't know. I don't know that the Flash realizing how well it, and you there's a line in this movie where he goes, "Huh, a team, a whole team of superheroes? I've never seen that before." Sort of thing. I paraphrase that, and I'm thinking, really? So I don't know that we actually need an origin of the Justice League story in this new version of this DC animated universe, and it seems like that's something that we are actually going to get in some way, shape, or form. I hate to read the tea leaves here, but that's what you're telling me that we're going to be getting. So, I, you know, that to me, I was like, I don't know if we needed that or not. I think I would have enjoyed it more if, it, if this felt more like a standalone movie than some sort of connected thing, even in an offhand way. Now, using this as a device to make Barry, future Barry, you know, care about Iris more and, and put more, more of a priority on her... That I would have been okay with because we do get to see that a little bit too. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's a misstep. Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm nitpicking a little bit here. But it almost feels like a let's revisit the origin sort of thing. And I don't know that you need to keep doing that. I know they kind of did that a little bit with Superman, Man of Tomorrow. But they actually did that in a really, really cool and interesting way. And you're also introducing Darren Chris as Superman too, by the way. So I, so I get why they did that particular thing, but I, I don't know. Like to, it's like seeing Batman's parents get shot, right? Like, like, do we need to see that for the thousandth time? I don't know that we do. And I'm not saying that's what they're going to do here. I'm just, I'm just using an example of there's certain things we don't need to keep seeing. And, and this whole notion of why we need the justice league, I think is kind of self-explanatory. And you actually see an example of why in this movie, in the early going too, right? So you don't, I feel like it didn't need to be, pointed out 
sort of thing. So I, there were some very good parts that I liked about this. Some great individual performances by the cast. I thought that it was, it was written pretty well. The action was good, but at the same time, there were a few things that I could have yeah, kind of could have done without. So I could say I would say this is definitely something that you would want to watch. I think you'd enjoy it, especially if you love those classic character designs. And old school, it's almost like a superhero war story, too, which is really, really fun. So there's some fun beats about this, but be prepared for it to drag a little bit in the middle. But I do think you'll enjoy Justice Society World War II. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of Justice Society World War II. Up next, let's dive into comics. It's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Artis Ficosio, artist of Revolutionaries, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This week, we're talking about the world's greatest heroes. No matter what you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. I mentioned the Justice League earlier in the show. So how about we talk about Justice League Last Ride, number one, from D.C., being written by Chip Zdarsky, Miguel Mendonca on the art, Enrica Angiolini on the colors, and World Design on the letters. Love the cover, too, by the way, by Derek Robertson and Diego Rodriguez. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of spoilers here in this review. If you're not caught up on the latest happenings, the League's disbanded. Batman and Superman are basically not even speaking to each other after what happened with Martian Manhunter. And Superman's all but burned out at this point. Now, the League's being called back together, though, interestingly enough, to protect a very interesting prisoner that was captured by the Green Lantern Corps. I will not reveal who that prisoner is. Now, turns out, though, that Hal Jordan has an even bigger agenda. And guess what? Batman is at odds with the League about that. And big surprise, right? So the question is, though, will they actually help and can they help? Which is, well, and and the other thing is, can they stay together? And I actually like this adversarial relationship, though, between Batman and Superman. It actually, to me, adds some sizzle to the Justice League story that I feel like it's needed. I feel like there hasn't been anything that's really grabbed me in Justice League books lately. And this kind of, this really does. It really adds that sizzle that, uh, that I've been missing. I also like how this kind of spreads to the other members of the League as well. Like Wonder Woman's reaction in this book is really, really interesting. The Flash reacts pretty much how you'd expect the Flash to react. So I like that as well. The art is really, really good. It's, it's really good as it gets, actually. The story really feels like it will be interesting, too long after the first issue, which is a really good sign because normally I'll read books and they'll be like, oh, let's give the second issue a shot. But this one to me feels like an all-in type of situation for a lot of different reasons. So I'm going to throw this in the pull box for you. Justice League Last Ride, number one. I actually just decided to try this next book on a whim. It's coming, coming out next week from Dark Horse Comics. It's Rangers of the Divide, number one. And it's created and basically all done by Megan Huang. Now, the Rangers as a team are actually an ancient military force that's one of the few things that unite warring nations of Vale and Rileon. Now, they typically keep the peace of the border, but there's a huge threat that is looming that needs their attention. Now, I'm going to go spoiler-free beyond that because that's the synopsis for the book, so that's basically what we're dealing with. But since this book is not yet going to go spoiler-free here... Now, we do get to meet one of these Rangers, Commander Knight, and we also meet some fresh cadets as well, because, you know, you got to train the future, right? Now, basically, the commander makes a pretty big decision as he's about to head, as he's about to set off on this big mission. Now, these cadets are about to find out, though, 
what they're really made of. And we get to see that throughout this first issue. And, and yeah, they're definitely put to the test right away. This actually might be have some of the best art I've seen in a while. It is re- really, really pops. I mean, it is very, very stunning. Not just the surrounding, not just where they're at and the setting that they're in, but the character designs are really, really neat as well. Think along the lines of Voltron Leg- Legendary Defender if you're trying to figure out what the art looks like for this book. Now, sure, there's some coming-of-age tropes here, and especially when it comes to the cadets and the commander and the, their relationship a little bit. But the mystery of what's to come and what's really going on with the commander, and there's hints here and there that there might be more that the commander's letting on than the commander's letting on in this first issue, it's really worth sticking around for. But really, this art is so gorgeous. And I just want to see more of this world. Right now, we're just at one outpost in this first issue. But at the end of the fir- this first issue, the, it's time to set off on the mission. And it's we're kind of being promised that we're going to get to see this open world a little bit more. So I think that there's a lot to look forward to in this story. And I, I kind of, this is my gut telling me that there's going to be more to this going forward as well as far as this story goes. So it's kind of simple in the first issue. But I like what I see so far, and I, and I think the story's got promise. So I'm going to go ahead and at least try the next issue of this one. It's Rangers of the Divide number 1 from Dark Horse. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Let's tackle some nerd news and big trailers of the week. We'll kick things off next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Jason Lyles from Rampage the Movie, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Who's ready to go to the movies? It's time for nerd news. And going to start out with a bunch of trailers this week. And I know it was earlier, but I got to talk about the Venom Let There Be Carnage trailer that came out earlier in the week. Of course, the movie comes out in theaters only, according to Sony, on September the 24th. And of course, you see that Eddie Brock and Venom are kind of getting along nicely now. They're making breakfast together. Everything's happy-go-lucky until they go ahead and visit Cletus Cassidy, who looks like, instead of a lethal injection, got an injection of carnage, quite frankly. Although, I gotta say, if the thing that people are talking the most about is five seconds of some guy reading a newspaper, that's probably not good for your trailer, right? I mean, the Daily Bugle thing kind of got more talk than anything else, didn't it? And, and, and you know what? Quite frankly, I understand why people are freaking out, but at the same time, I think we need to pump the brakes on that a little bit. I mean, I don't, I don't think that that really confirms anything. I mean, I, it just feels like Mephesto all over again. So I'm not sure that I would go that. And maybe you think it's a sure thing. I don't know the whole Raimi thing, but, but pump the brakes on that for now. That's all I'm saying. Don't, don't set yourself up for possible disappointment there. I'm that's that's all I'm saying. I don't care what anybody says. So, and then we get to see Carnage in this first trailer, which is good. I thought that's something they need, they needed to do. And did he look great? Yeah, he absolutely looked great, for sure. And But you, you kind of expected that he would. And you kind of knew what you were going to get, didn't you, a little bit? I mean, I certainly did. It wasn't something that wowed me because I kind of figured that that's how Carnage was going to look. But the thing I'm looking forward to the most about this movie is Woody Harrelson's performance as Cletus Cassidy, because quite frankly, Woody thrives in roles like this where he plays these off-the-wall maniac-type characters. So Woody Unhinged is something that I think could be a really bright spot for this movie. But beyond that, 
If you hated the first Venom movie, you're probably going to hate this one based on what we see from this trailer. If you loved the first Venom movie, the, there's a good chance you might love this one too, and it's gonna, it's just going to crank up the, the ante a little bit because now you're talking about Carnage. If you were expecting to see Spider-Man in this, in this trailer, yeah, again, you're disappointed because that was never going to happen. Even if we do find out if there's a Spider-Man in this Venom movie, it's not going to be shown in the freaking trailer. Not the first trailer, anyway. I can't imagine it's going to be shown in any trailer. Quite frankly, why would you blow that lead? So, again, this is a trailer that wasn't hugely exciting for me, but I I, I enjoyed the first Venom movie for what it was. So, I, that's pretty much what I'm expecting out of this one as well. I'm not expecting me to be wild, but yeah, sure, I'll go ahead and I'll probably enjoy it. We'll just have to wait and see. Speaking of something we won't have to wait too much longer for, the new Amazon Young Adult series, Panic, going to be coming on May the 28th. They finally actually released a trailer for this thing, and you get to meet Heather Nill. And not much of the Nill family in this trailer, but you do get to meet Heather Nill. And this town of Texas, in Texas, where basically, you know, everybody's kind of stuck in this town, right? It's, based, it's typical small town living, right? You know, the, the adults are stuck, the kids are stuck, people want out, and Panic is their way out, this high-stakes competition where it's based on, you know, almost facing your fears. Actually, more so than facing your fears, as you say. There was a freaking tiger in this trailer a couple different times. And, like, first of all, how do you even get a tiger in a small town in Texas? I mean, it's not like the zoo's nearby, right? And, and even if it was, you, you, what, you stole a tiger from the zoo? I, I just thought that was really interesting that like, the freaking tiger shows up. But, you know, they, they have to do stuff like, you know, jump off high cliffs and stuff like that. And But but you could see that, like, local law enforcement's like, hey, a couple kids died doing this. So we got to, you know, we got to stop this before it starts. So the law enforcement wants to stop it. The kids are finding out that maybe there's more to this panic that happens every year, by the way, than they know. There, there could be some something shady behind this. Maybe somebody's trying to put the fix in. Something like that. So it's not necessarily on the up and up. But when you're talking about 50 grand and a chance to get the hell out of the small town, then you're probably going to take it. But it's interesting how they, it looks like certain relationships are going to get forged here. We're going to see maybe friends at odds with each other and things like that. And this this is really one of those series that could go any which way. So I'm excited for this one, actually. I think that, it, I mean, if you got Hunger Games vibes, and I certainly don't blame you for feeling that way because I certainly got them too when I saw this trailer. So interested to see exactly where this thing is going to go. And, and I think that the cast is pretty good actually. And I will have a review on this coming up in a couple of weeks. Here's a series that you might have missed from Apple TV plus actually. And I'm ashamed to admit that I missed the first season. So I'm trying to play catch up right now. It's home before dark, which released its second season trailer Second season is going to debut on Apple TV Plus on June the 11th. And it actually follows a couple of characters that are played by the, the younger Hildy Lisko is played by Brooklyn Prince. And Jim Sturgis plays the elder Lisko father. And basically she's in a, a young investigative journalist. And here's, the, and here's the deal. She's pretty darn good at it. And it's actually based on a real young journalist named Hildy Lysak. So you see in the second season that basically Hildy is investigating this powerful corporation. Something's going on in their town of Erie Harbor, and it could be making people sick, and she wants to get to the bottom of it, right? But 
that means that this young girl's got to go up against some pretty shady characters. And she's got her own group that she runs with. These kids are, are doing a great job with their investigative journalism, getting their skills on. But, you know, they're still kids, too, right? And then you see, you know, Dad is clearly the mentor in this case, right? You get to see, you know, Dad being the voice of reason and, and the guiding voice for Hildy, which I think is really, really cool. You see that a little bit. In the first season as well. From what I've seen anyway. I'm not all caught up yet. So don't. You know. Don't at me for this. Because I'm trying to play catch up. And I'm trying to tell you about it. Because if I missed it. Maybe you missed it too. And I can tell you right now. Based on what I've seen. This is a show you need to be watching. And make sure you're catching up. For the June 11th premiere. Of the second season. Now remember. Apple TV Plus. Releases their episodes weekly. As well. So keep that in mind. And of course. The series stars Brooklyn Prince. And Jim Sturgis. A whole bunch of others. In the cast as well, but this just this just doesn't necessarily look like your typical young adult series. This one looks really really fun, and I think that I, I think the second season is going to be a lot of fun as well. And and I know that they're investigating something that makes people sick. I don't think that they're going down the whole you know super virus route like a lot of other shows have done over the past year. So peel the onion. It's kind of the way I feel about this thing so far. Here's something I'm absolutely excited for, and we haven't even gotten a trailer yet, but we finally get a first look at Masters of the Universe Revelation, the animated series from from Kevin, Kevin Smith, who's the showrunner, with an amazing voice cast. You want the list of all of them, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. First of all, first things first, Masters of the Universe Revelation is going to premiere on Netflix on Friday, July the 23rd. It's going to have five 30-minute episodes in the first part, and all that tells me is that there's going to be more parts, and we're going to get to enjoy it longer. So I know the first part's not going to be too long, but think of it as like a first movie type of thing, right? And it actually picks up, by the way, right where the original animated series left off. And we actually get this first synopsis that actually tells us where this thing is going, because basically the big battle between He-Man and Skeletor has Eternia fractured, and the Guardians of Grayskull are actually scattered all over the place. So decades of secrets are torn up, have torn them apart. And now Tila has to reunite them all in this broken band of heroes and solve the mystery of the missing sword of power and race against time to restore Eternia and prevent the end of the universe. So there's really high stakes here for sure. And if you look at these first look photos, which again, you can find it down at nerdypodcast.com and on our social media pages, they look in freaking incredible the character designs are just a little bit different from what you're used to in the animated series like Skeletor is a little bit different but I mean everybody looks so incredible I mean even Orko looks like a badass and and again not that not that you can't be but at the same time like you know that's a character that was drawn in a very cartoony way in the original animated series but certainly a powerful character and he looks pissed in this first look photo Quite frankly, everybody really does. But, I mean, there's a big battle going on, and everybody seems to be mad at each other, so why wouldn't they be? But, I mean, I was, I've was i been in for this from the start because I know that Kevin Smith loves Masters of the Universe as much as I do, so for that reason alone, I'm in. But now that I've seen this first look, it just confirmed everything that I expected, that this was going to look incredible, and it makes me not worry about whether or not we're going to get a live-action one because I know that this one it's just going to be super cool. I cannot wait. Here's something else that I was actually surprised to find out. Deadline was the first to break the news that Psych is getting a third movie 
and it's going to be on Peacock. I actually kind of thought after the second one that might be it, but no, no, no. Psych, the movie three is going to be called This Is Gus. Yes, of course, play on This Is Us, right? So Gus is actually going to be a daddy, so baby Guster's on the way. And, well, of course, something happens before the wedding, right? And Sean and Gus actually have to go rogue in an attempt to track down Celine's estranged husband, which is part of this is part of the synopsis that was provided by Peacock. And actually, Lassie needs to grapple the future of his career, quite frankly, too, right? Timothy Olmeson, a stroke survivor, kind of back into the fold, and that plays into Laster's character as well. And if you know Lassie, that's going to be a tough thing for him to deal with. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Don't really have a trailer or anything yet, unfortunately. And we don't know when this is going to be coming out. But I mean, how could you not? If you're a psych fan, you'll take anything you can get, right? And the fact that I was happy when we got one movie. Now we're going on to a third movie. This is just incredible for me. I love the fact that this story is continuing. And it's not like a cash grab or anything like that either. These these stories actually make sense for what they're doing. So I love that we're getting a third psych movie. And of course, any the for when the first trailer comes out, yeah, I'll be talking about it. So make sure you're listening for that on a future episode. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the wonderful creative talent behind Castlevania, Adam and Sam Dietz, who are the, sh- who are the directors. And, of course, Kevin Cole, the executive producer, for joining me this week. Make sure you're watching Castlevania this weekend if you haven't started it already. And make sure you're going to downandnerdypodcast.com to get even more info on what's going on with us. Also, follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.